What happens when a couple of guys who have spent the last 20 years working on their writing craft finally decide to get serious about publishing? Only to face a crumbling industry, AI written books, and a deluge of amateur self-publishing? Well, let's find out. Alright, so we're back in Hacking It. Dan, how are you? Yeah, hang it in there. Dan Allen, all the way from Boys from the West, somewhere in the mountains, somewhere we don't know. And me too, somewhere Secret in the West. location. Some of the mountains, by the way. Pretty near Denver. Um, and uh, a little bit ago, you got me really fired up about a, a topic, an article that you bumped into. And I really want you to go into what what is it? So KDP, which is the world's premier ebook seller, has just changed I don't know if it's quite a guideline yet, but it is a requirement in terms of disclosure concerning AI. So let me go ahead and bring up that article. Okay, so this article comes from the Authors Guild. Now I'm just gonna read a paragraph. So today Amazon announced its new policy requiring those who post content to its Kindle Direct publishing platform to disclose to Amazon if the content contains AI-generated content, including text, images, or translations. The new policy comes after months of discussions between the Authors Guild and KDP leadership on the need for safeguards against AI-generated books flooding the platform and displacing human authors and to protect consumers from unwittingly purchasing AI-generated texts. So basically, when you submit something, you have to now declare whether or not it is AI-generated versus AI assisted. So AI assisted, if it's AI assisted, whether you're using it for editing or just in minimal technical ways, you do not need to disclose that it is AI generated. But if you are using it as your generator for content, you must disclose that now. Wow, what do we think about that? Well, I think they, at this point, they are not, disclosing it on the Kindle bookstore yet, but they said that they have the right to disclose that. So I think it's the first step to disclosing it. And I think they're going to see how this goes. And so hopefully in the future, you can see on the Kindle store, whether or not you were purchasing something generated from AI or a human being, which is, which I think is a relief for us, right? Because that was our concern that like, there's thousands of books. I mean, it's 4,000 books, I think, a month that are going on to the Kindle store. That's crazy. So, How many of those are AI? There are, uh, we're getting flooded. Uh, there's about quite a few uh, things coming from two regions uh, in Asia, two main, main countries in Asia. And this, folks, uh, is not anything to do with it, it's just a reality. China and India. Are producing a lot and this you can look into there's a lot of articles already about this of books through ai so that they can tap into our market and sell us our own chat produced kind of genre books or whatever it is it is a huge nightmare because it will it would just write us into irrelevancy uh there's just it's already it's like a slush pile from hell think about that it's not, it doesn't help the consumer the listener of podcasts the the reader, because if I'm trying to find a book, let's say I'm trying to find a book about something and it's like I'm looking through, but there are so many that I don't know now there. I don't know what what to pick. It really touches upon all creative aspects because it's not just writing by far. It's not. 
it's not just script writing. It's not a Hollywood problem. It's not a, it's not an individual localized problem. It's a problem across the entire spectrum of creativity, photography, um, artistic design, um, writing, obviously, and many other forms of expression. Um, what this does is that it makes it all the harder for someone who's developing their craft to have a chance to have that arc, you know, before you get into this, if you want to call it an arc, I don't like to look at it as an arc. I like to look at it as a climbing. So an inverted arc. Um, but before you can even get to that set off point, maybe you get good enough in your craft. Maybe you're, you've already are showing signs of technical prowess in your writing as I think you feel already. Um, but then now it's this, this gargantuan, um, challenge. So do we, do we trust that the industries are going to resolve this problem or is it going to require government intervention? It's a, it's a wrestling match. It's going to be handled differently in three regions. Uh, one, uh, well, here, this market is uh, the, one of the hottest, is maybe the hottest market in terms of lucrative potential, right? So the American, the Anglo-speaking, uh, English-speaking uh, market, um, the U.S. US Canadian market is huge. U.S. Canadian England market is huge, just population-wise, Okay. Um, it's going to be handled different uh, in Europe. Europe already is setting up a lot of controls and asking for a tremendous amount, re- amounts of regulation. And then Asia isn't going to care. They, they just have a different perspective about creative um, writing and ownership. And this has been a long time. Even our teacher, uh, I'm going to call him out, Mr. Larson, said a long time ago that, yeah, in Asia, they just don't have, they have a different concept of what it, imitating is. In other words, they can take someone's work that they like, and it's just theirs. The idea of ownership of intellectual property is a completely different concept. They still have that issue, and it really conflicts with people like us who are very individualistic and who uh, want to make a name, literally a name for ourselves. Um, I'm, you know, I want to ask. Well, and I think right now, what this AI thing has caused us some trepidation or concern is that before we just assumed we were up against you know the publishing world's challenges which are real and that's a that's a lot you gotta get through to to i mean starting with getting an agent and then getting an agent is itself a challenge and a threshold you have to cross which is which not everybody even does and then to go from there to actually getting a publishing house to actually consider it now it's like we're up against against like what you said a bunch of garbage and a bunch of a bunch of money grubbers who are just using only hacks to flood the market with junk and that's where we don't we feel like that's not fair that that makes what we're trying to do even harder so i'm glad i'm it's a reassurance that that KDP as the premier uh, ebook platform is actually it's a it's a movement in the right direction. It's still going to be one hell of a fight. The uh, technology companies are way ahead, both in the technological level and capability of their software, and uh, and anticipating what um, legal hurdles they can encounter. They're so far ahead, you have no idea. It will depress you to look into it, but that's the reality. Now, it's going to be a fight um, and it's going to play out. So it's exciting and scary at the same time. 
because what I think could happen with this digital slush pile, I think we should just call it that. If it's just, if it's just, if you can't find something that's good, and it's just a slush pile, and you can't find it, then it kills, it kills the efficiency of, say, something like Amazon's Kindle or iBooks. Because what, what do you do when you go there to look for a book that's maybe a dollar or two, Dan? What do you, what do you do? What are you doing? Looking for a good read that's yeah, not much of a a risk in terms of purchasing like i don't <laughs> expect i absolutely don't expect i yeah. don't expect i like that yeah. to, if i'm spending money on a book for it to be crap now if a book is free you know you get these free deals all the time like give it a try and if i don't get into it i i, I don't care but if i'm spending money on it i expect good quality i mean that is that's what we grew up expecting right you can't get published so, unless you're good Yes, thank you. That's what I was looking for. I appreciate that you you called that out. We had a system. Let's go back to the 90s, everybody. You want to you want to get your short story published? You're going to go to a magazine like Omni. Nobody knows about Omni. It's still around digitally. I was surprised that Analog was another like a sci-fi one. And there were many other literary ones that are still some of them are still around like the New Yorker and blah, blah. That was like sort of like the the epitome, like the real pop, <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. And there, yeah. why are you laughing? What, what do you think? Because the New Yorker, I mean, that was the epitome. That was like, I would, I would read a story in the New Yorker and I'd be a little bit in awe of, wow, this, this must be really good. Even if it wasn't that great, because I think the New Yorker and those kinds of literary magazines were so much about style, but you're right. That used to be it. And now it feels like, you know, there's, technologically speaking there's not many hoops to jump through to get your stuff published but again That's a like we said thing. it's a slush pile it's a slush pile that, but that but it's a beautiful thing because it's what they've done there's two things that are just logical either amazon kindle and ibooks the big gorillas amazon way more of a gorilla as you pointed out what is it like how much did you say seven i think it's 80 percent of the market wow of ebooks so huge percentage um, so you've got to, if you're going to be self-publishing, if that's some thing, one of the things you're interested in, we're going to talk about that later in other segments, uh, the hurdles of that and how we're going to maybe try even that, or maybe we'll, we won't, maybe we decide, Hey, this is just not the way to go because, uh, two things can happen. If I'm running a business like Kindle, let's say it's not in my interest for it to become irrelevant and people start pretty much buying out of it. They're not buying in because it's like, ah, that's where you go for crap. Uh, so it's yeah. not, they need to develop a selective system. And it's going to be have to be much more sophisticated than some declaration that says this is not an AI, because, of course, people can lie. (laughs) Uh, So number two, it actually puts a and I want your thoughts on this after I finish really quickly. Uh, Is it going to put uh, a little bit more of a uh, play into the publishing houses? I think you mentioned the five big five. And I think I want you to spell it out in your answer. What are the big five? Uh, the big publishing houses, does that play in their, in, their, in their hand? Because the thing is that they might be in a position where like, hey, look, everybody, the indie movement is over because look, you're going to you're going to want to come back to us or our marketing to the way we, we select and that we have editors, by the way, all pretty much getting fired right now. Major editors are getting fired right now. Huge, famous ones getting fired right now by publishing houses. So is it going to play back into the hand of the publishing house in terms of like, come back to us, baby, because we've got the good books. On the other hand, if you want to write, for us, you're going to have to ideologically adhere to this, 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 and stylistically and philosophically to this, this, and this that we think is trendy. And there we go. We're going to put the straight, the creative straitjacket on you again. I laid a lot on you. Sorry. Yeah. 
Well, so the big five uh, in terms of publishing are Penguin slash Random House, Hatchet Book Group, HarperCollins, Simon Schuster, and Macmillan. Badass. So, Just you then? So I think there is a huge shift in there, and you know, there's um, the old guard has is is going away, so that opens up some opportunities, I think. Going away, looking, going doing my research though, I don't. I think the steps that you go through to get published through one of the big five and and getting mm-hmm. self published in a way that is actually relevant and that's going to garner an audience is pretty much the same. You need to have a quality draft. It needs yep. to go through some serious editing, whether that is, you know, whether you have your own little group of editors or you hire somebody, um, then you we're have gonna to do it yourself. <laughs> you're going uh, to have to yeah, do, do it ourselves. You, you, look, a... if you're starting out as a writer, I want to say something so that all the hacks out there that are out, that are out there, you can all go straight over here because there's a lot of people trying to make money. We're not going to be those people, by the way. So right off the bat disclaimer, this is not going to be where I go. Uh, all these how-to books and all these workshops and seminars of, of where you pay to get your manuscript work done, to get this and that. So it's good. Don't bother with that. You, you writer, you, Dan, me, the writer, need to become good at all those things and produce quality work from the uh, that we're going to sell. That, you have to do it. Um, if later on... Well, okay. Yeah. Don't pay for anything is what I'm saying. Do not pay for anything right now. Uh, do Are it you- as much as you can. Are you telling me or are you telling the audience? Me because and everybody. Here's, here's the difference. There's no audience. It's yeah, just us. I wouldn't say everybody. I wouldn't say everybody because you and I hmm, have interesting. English degrees uh, and we have spent how many years writing? You got to I mean, get good what, at this stuff. What, 30 mm-hmm. years? Like we've, we've mastered the, you know, grammar where we're, we know we have our own style. Um, so we've mastered the basics. So if you are, at that point where you feel confident, then yeah, go through the whole editing process. You don't need to hire somebody know your, out, but you got to know your fundamentals. Um, one of the things that you told me some a couple of years ago was that, um, and I mirror that feeling. It was a, you know, it was a punch in the in the gut, and that was that the way that the industry, the publishing industry, was going, had a very prescriptive way of looking for something so they get on this thing like if you're not a b and z and are writing about a b or maybe even c then we don't want you're not even going to get looked at and do you i mean you don't have to spell out what those things are but um it can be whatever it is it can be you're a writer that wants to write from the perspective of a vampire gorilla i don't know and it's just not happening because what really is hot is you. We want zombies. We want zombies of a different, of a different background and different perspective in life that mirrors some ideological movements that are going on right now. What does that do to a writer? What is, I remember how you felt. So just try to go back in time and and tell me. I mean, you were distraught. Yeah, I was worried too much about what the trends were, what the expectations were of the of the industry that distracted me from telling stories and you know there's always when whenever you're writing you're always trying to capture an image of feeling uh it's almost like glancing right it's almost like a vision into the promised land and how do you get there 
and it seems so far off and it seems like you kind of go through a huge desert to get there, but it's so worth it. And it's so easy to get distracted in that wilderness to, to focus on all of the, the problems along the way, whether it's the publishing industry, whether it's trends, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, you've got to stick to your path as straight a path as possible you know, which is writing, 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 and trying to develop that vision, trying to tell those stories. And because there's just so many ways to get distracted yeah. along the way. And that was my problem. I was, it was a lack of confidence, like you've pointed out many times, lack of faith in myself. And well, if you are a writer, you just need to stick to it. You need to keep going to the promised land. Well, it's a coda that we have been developing, but those were not unfounded fears. In fact, they're, they because of the indie movement, those were largely undermined. So it's kind of like karma. So let me just say, this is not going to be politically hot in any kind of way. But the publishing houses, let's just say one publishing house wants to hear about certain voices that are unheard. Now I'm all for those voices. I really, truly am. But they have to come and rise organically. Um, if they don't, and if they're you know picked, like I want something to write about, you know, crossing the border or something like that. So I want a writer that's what ended up happening, happening is that even that got hijacked because one of the books that was written by that was written by a, a white lady that, um, uh, you know, wrote it as if she had crossed the border, but she, she didn't do that. Is that wrong? I don't think it is as long as it's good writing, but it, you know, what the publisher was looking for is like, no, we want somebody that's doing that actually was there and this is not it. Uh, so pushing and prescribing, it's in a way kind of semi-commissioning writing and creativity can backfire. And it did backfire. One of the ways that it happened that was a scare is this was back in the 2014, 2013, 2014 through 2017, 18, and it fizzled out. The, the pandemic, by the way, killed this movement. But there was a big, and you can I can point you to the articles. You can find them. Just search Goodreads and a little bit about publishing. And you'll find that, that many people are using Goodreads to, um, and this even happened among authors, which is pretty disgusting. You would get a writer, maybe he was from Iowa and he wrote about growing up in a farm or something. And then somebody would get on there on Goodreads and have a huge amount of other people and use technology too to create um, a lot of negative comments about why that wasn't a, a story that fit with the times, you know, that's not on the right side of history. Is writing about being the right side of history? Now, what happened is that that writer would get so much bad rep because of something that happened, or maybe that writer got into a fight in a bar, and all of this outside stuff started to become drama. Those this drama stuff, some of it artificial, much of it artificial, started. I think they called cancel. They eventually called it cancel culture. Unfortunately, I don't like those terms like that. I don't like trendy terms like that. But what happened is that writing was really suffering, and writing in the articles that I read. Uh, around the time that you were so distraught. Uh, and in fact, I wasn't distraught. Uh, and I tried to cheer you up, and I, f I feel like I did, because I told you, this will fade out. Um, what do you think? What, what's it making you think? Is that something that that is a big hurdle, or it was, and we can look back? And like I said, and within the context of now the publishing houses lost a lot of their power to dictate what is, gets written. That's my problem. I don't care what gets written. Write whatever. Be it. But now they've sort of lost the power. Are they regaining it because now maybe Kindle and um, Apple Books or iBooks is becoming less efficient at delivering quality stuff? I think your focus needs to be 
on honing your own craft. And if you're thinking about other things while you are writing, it's, it's going to be a distraction. It's going to take away from the authenticity. Now, that is not to say that you can't, you shouldn't be aware of your audience or your niche or your genre that you're writing into. But I just, I think your writing just needs to be good. And I think that's one yeah. thing we wanted to talk about is, is what is your aesthetic? Because if you don't know what your, your own writing should sound like or, or who you are as a writer and what your style is, you don't have a chance because you're just going to get drowned out by everything else. Well, so what is your what is your aesthetic? Emails, who cares what other people do? We're this show is about us. Sorry, guys. If you come along, great. But it's about how you and I are gonna try to make it. Hack it till we make it. Right? Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Help me out. Am I wrong? No, I'm. It's it's. I've gotten to this point where. I mean, we're angry. I have such, <laughs> I have such confidence in what I am writing that I. I'm going to do it no matter what. And it's just, and, and, and it's really boiled down to committing to a story. Yeah. You, you believe in the story, yes. you develop the story. Um, now there's a couple of different approaches when oh. writing a story and you and I have two, I think kind of different approaches, but let me tell you when, a little bit about that, but when, please go on. I, I interrupted you. Well, the, the, but the point is that I'm, 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 I'm to the point where I've got my approach down. I've got my, my discipline down. I'm writing at a very specific time, very disciplined. Yes. I'm going for a target number of words every day. And then I don't worry about it. As long as I have my writing time and I know what I'm writing um, and I believe in the project that I'm writing. Getting on the saddle. It's just a matter of time and it's just a matter of process for it to get completed. And then what happens after that, the publishing part, this is where I think uh, you and I were, we're, we're newbies about the publishing part. Like that part yeah. is a huge learning curve. Absolutely. But right now I feel like we're in a very good spot in terms of our, our writing practice and our discipline and our, our vision as writers. You can't, you can look at a horse all day long, but you're not getting anywhere unless you saddle up, unless you get on that yeah. saddle. That's what writing is for you as the way you describe it to me. Now, when I speak about aesthetic, I'm going to elaborate what I mean by that. It's not just, and we're going to deconstruct it a bit. When I speak about it, and it's something I'm still developing, it's a bit of a thing I was going to do or have been doing anyway throughout my writing process, which is I've been there a little bit ahead of you just a bit because of the things that got in way in your life in terms of things that I completed that I feel good about. And you're still looking for that one thing, which I want you to find, which you're, you're going to find. And that's what we're doing is because we want to connect with a readership one day and have that and just have that communion. And that's so gratifying. That's going to be so gratifying. If the self-publishing route ends up being the way that we do it in a way, or if we do a hybrid, I think a hybrid is what, what I'm looking at. Uh, a, a place a, a place where we Go the traditional route because I'm not for going the traditional route. And I don't think you quit it either. But I also want to be able to control some of the things I write and connect with directly with people that might want a, a little bit of ecological type of novels that I kind of write. Um, and by ecological, that's something I'll, I'll touch up on later. It doesn't mean environmental. It means what's here and what's now, uh, the human experience. So the this 
puts us into put me. Let me talk about my experience. Why I'm talking about aesthetic is because I realize it's it's, it's two things. One, as you're writing and your process, you're growing and thinking about what you're doing. You're gaining self-awareness. When you're at the outset, that's going to change a few ways, and you might have some premises. Like one of the premises that I'm gonna spotlight for you, Dan, would have been something like if you're a little bit of nitty gritty, you may have already changed your mind and you, you'll change your mind many times because that's the way growth goes. Um, like if, for instance, one time, a long time ago, so many years ago, I told you, uh, and you laughed at me, but you, I told you, look, um, one of the things, this was many years ago, like nine or maybe, maybe more. Uh, I told you one of the things that a writer can do, and this is all writing, is to learn from other creative people, learn from artists, learn how they do it. And it's actually easier. Why? Because it's not writing. Talking to other writers sometimes is, is like shooting yourself in the foot because you're both sort of, you know, where it's like magnets sometimes. You and I came together because we just sort of click, but it doesn't happen with everyone. And so if you're a writer and you hang in with photographers, you hang in there with, with art, with music, you hang in there. And by hanging in there, you create relationships. You go to these things. You make them part of your life. And to boot, you learn a little bit of how to do it. For instance, I learned how to take good photos, you know, nature. I was interested in nature uh, photography. Um, and I've had some photographers tell me, some professional photographers tell me, well, that, that's good. You know, I like night photography. I'm just sort of my niche. I don't know why. I just love that light, that chiaroscuro, that, you know, dark and, and bright of night. And so I take those kind of uh, liminal pictures. But I wasn't setting out to do that so much deliberately saying, well, I'm going to be a great photographer because I knew that I was a writer. And it was kind of a hobby and it still is. But I didn't know until a little bit later that it was going to inform the way I create composition the way I compose certain scenes visually and the way I write them. It did inform me. When I found out about this, I also got into cars. I didn't do that because, and it's nothing wrong with it. I think I encourage people to live with the manuscript, which means actually live some of the things, be a bit of a method actor in some of the things you do. Um, but just don't expect an immediate payoff. Don't expect, one of the things I want to talk to you about, and that's what's very relevant, is your history novel. So I'm going to pause because I've been talking at length. Let's talk about that old historical that you started writing. My God, I love that script that you wrote in high school. This guy is a genius, this guy, Dan Allen, okay? In high school already, he's got a complete script about? Well, it was about the fur trade in the Canadian-North American border. 16 years old. Boundary waters. But yeah. 16 years old. And it, it was a it was an idea, a story idea that my dad came up with uh, in terms of what would happen if a voyager, or who were these uh, voyagers, were French Canadian canoemen that would take the pelts from the Native Americans and bring them back to the trading post, and then they would sell these pelts to ship them back to Europe, and they would turn them into lead laden hats that were the rage in Europe, and it just funded this entire industry uh, that helped develop uh, the Canadian North American area in terms of trade routes. Um, so, you know, what would happen if, you know, a voyager fell in love with a native American woman, they had a child and the woman and the child were kidnapped and it was this great story. And it's kind of the, the tale, the story of me writing that story is kind of uh, tragic and also, this part of my growth as a writer because 
I, I developed the story into a kind of a treatment, like a 30 page treatment. And we tried to get, send it around to the people in the Hollywood industry. And then we tried to turn it into a script and then, but it turned into scripts when I was basically in college and then after college and then started my family. And I was just, I don't know. I just had a crisis of confidence. And so I abandoned okay, it. So and the, the part that I am interested in, in nursing um, is not the part that you're judging it as a failure, but the part that was part of the, your process with it. Because first of all, it wasn't a failure. It just don't realize that, that it wasn't. It's just fed your character in certain ways. But my point in making you think back to that has to do with how were you living with the, your manuscript then? What the research, did you at point, one point just feel disconnected? Because I feel like you did. Like it was too much. Did overwhelming. What? Historical writing, the, the hurdle of it, putting yourself in that. What did you... Like I was reading, I was reading firsthand accounts, like not, you know, not the second yeah. hand, not the, not the history writer's version, like narratives of like, like John Tanner, who literally was uh, kidnapped as a child by, I think an Ojibwe clan in, in Canada was raised and kind of lived the boundary between you know, the, the, the Europeans that were living there and the Native Americans that were living there. So I was reading firsthand accounts and it was both feeding my, my imagination for the story, but also, like you said, it was kind of overwhelming. It's like, at what point is my wow. lack of knowledge, true knowledge of everything back then going to come through the yeah. narrative? I got, I got hung up on that. And so, yes. That's what I was that going is, I'm not getting hung up on that anymore because people really don't care. I mean, my gosh, you can uh, write the most ridiculous stories, but if, you, but if you tell a good story, that's, that's an aesthetic, that's an aesthetic choice. So Dan just made, that's what I was, I was baiting you to get this because I made the same things. I, I if you remember, I, I, I wrote a novel called city, city eternal, you know, about Italian post-war um, kind of post-world war II era. Uh, just about the post-war and the repercussions of the war in this Italian characters, okay? But the reason I wanted you, because that one you need to jot down. So you gain a moment of self-awareness, but at the same time, it's not aware of itself. And that was that um, people really just don't care. Now, when you did that, you, whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter, but you already created a guideline that goes towards this school of dan school of writing by dan allen okay in the school of writing of dan you've already came up with one little guideline you haven't written it down because you just say these things and there were many things i thought about many examples i'm just going to stick to this one because that's a good one and so tell me about what people don't care in your opinion and what people don't care in this context and then we'll just construct it a little bit i'll share my my experiences too i think people don't care about whether or not fact-checking everything about a historical story now historical uh -huh. fiction is a huge genre it's still very yes. popular love super it. popular and sure. um so they love something about the history of a different time a different place they love some of the uh what do you call it the, Are the you asynchronous you know quality of reading a story from a different time people dealing with different kinds of struggles 
different technology. So there's something to that, but they don't read historical fiction to read history. Right. It just makes the story bigger, more exaggerated. Uh, I think it's a similar draw to uh, fantasy. It's a different world. And so that kind of, they want to be um, mm, a little engrossed bit. in a different world. And yes. so I think historical it's fiction is, writing is that, but you can't get uh, hung up on the being overly historical. Now, I think there are some historical novels that almost try to retell history in a very accurate way, but that's, that's not the kind of historical story I was trying to write. There you go. To, so it really doesn't have, to, have much to do with what people want or whatever. It's you created an avatar of people. And these people that you think that are your readers, future readers, you think they want this, they don't want that. But really, it's Dan. Dan's coming up with these rules. And that may be your it's a thesis. You need to play it out, which you're going to at one point. Um, what's really interesting to me about that is that specifically in writing, what did you change to kind of like because you came to a point like, OK, and I'll, I'll insert a little bit of something in researching and doing my own research historically. I also became overwhelmed with the burden that I put on myself for having this authenticity of, you know, what kind of cars were being really driven. Or I don't want to create an anachronism. I do. I am a little bit more of a heart and nose type of writer than you are in this respect, just this little one. I do think that the writer that's writing historical novels really should know what they're writing about. They should know the history so well. It really needs to be as much as possible. But really, it brings another excellent point that you that you just bring in out. And this could be a topic for you in this context. That is that when we're writing historical novels, of course, nobody knows really the history. No historian ever does. It's interpretive. Even historians don't know what happened 15, 20 years ago. If I talk to someone that's 20 years ago, do they know the 90s like we know the 90s? No. They're not going to right. know because they didn't leave, live and breathe and any of that stuff. So what we end up with is a construct, an illusion of that time. And what Dan is trying to say, I think, is that, OK, I'm going to make a deal with myself as a writer. I'm getting really overwhelmed by this stuff, but I really need to learn this stuff. Now, I don't believe that you should just toss it out. It really has made you a better writer to know all of these things and research painstakingly as you did. On the other hand, it can't hang in there so much that you're just transcribing these first story accounts into some kind of story. So you made a, com a not a compromise, but a, a, a choice. And the choice is I need to focus on the dramatic parts of these, the, the narrative, the storytelling that's anchored to this reality. And yet I'm creating an illusion, a beautiful illusion. And if I pull it off, I'm doing some good writing. Does that represent a little bit what what your process was and how you developed that process? I mean, that's what I was going for. That's I wanted to know it so well that it would come through as authentic. Um, now what I'm doing, I, 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 that is a, you know, you and I both have an A, B, C, D project. That one is like lower down the alphabet because I was so scarred in terms of my confidence by never hey. completing it, by uh -huh. not completing it. it. It was almost, I mean, I would say it was traumatic on, as, as far as an artist, is concerned you know an artist trauma i wouldn't say the same as like okay. real trauma in life but it was it was traumatic losing that like, i'm not going to, i'm not going to revisit that again unless i am set up to complete it and i know 100 percent that i'm set up to complete it because right now our lives are so busy that i can only handle writing about 40 minutes a day and I, my my commitment my discipline is to write 40 minutes every single day seven days a week and the world's words pile up and I will make progress. 
to do justice to a, a an in-depth historical fiction story, I need the time to develop those those ideas and incorporate the history. And and personally, because of that story, because of how tragic it was for me as a writer, mm, sorry, I need to I need to have everything lined up, and that may not happen for I don't know. So decade. We, we divert. And that's a great point uh, to to kind of bring bring this topic in, into a, into a good perspective. The research I did and the learning experience of it really enriched my my life, and I want you to think. Uh, as a mini challenge about the ways that those kind of setbacks that you think are setbacks actually led you to develop an aesthetic. A, a little bit, there was a bit of a trauma there in which you're going, okay, this was painful, so I don't want to go back there because it's painful. But I want you to think about um, the aesthetic, the one, and there are many others. One of the things that are that are that can be hijacking to someone's writing practice or creative writing or creative creativity of any kind of endeavor is that they look at something as a failure and it may very, very well be a spectacular failure. This podcast could be a spectacular failure and yet I'll have learned quite a bit of, of from it. And I'm learning things from you that I didn't get the privilege to learn from you. Like I didn't know that this was something that weighed on you so much. Um, however, do you think that all of this research that you did and all the narrative that you read, do you regret that? Do you think it was a waste of time? No, because it, now that I've gotten back into serious writing, like I'm going to complete my projects and then I'm going to get them published in whatever routes yeah. I choose, that I am going to set myself up for success. Like time is going to be, I'm going to make sure that time is on my side, that habits are on my side. And all of my habits, if my habits are lined up correctly, in combination with time and in combination with my commitment, I will complete my projects because I'm unwilling to pour my heart and soul into writing projects that are not going to be completed anymore. So I've had to rearrange my life in terms of my habits, my routines, so that I know with 100% certainty that these project, projects are going to be finished. That's what I've learned because I I can't I can't go through Part that again. It. Like I don't think I could handle you know, not completing the projects I'm working on now and then continue as, as a writer. You're still very goal oriented. This is an anxious project. It's where I was in 2018 that led yeah. me to a very dark place where I wanted to feel something was completed. But you're in somewhere else where I was five, six years ago. That's a little bit of a difference. Um, and that's why you've got this push, 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 push. But what I was trying to get to is that the all this pushing from before is contributing to an enrichment of your character. But if you don't allow it to be, you're just going to have, you'll have wasted your time and you look at it as regret and it will not make you a better writer. Um, you need to develop as an artist and not as a goal oriented person, because this isn't a goal to have. And I know exactly what I'm telling you this because I had the same thing. It happened to me where I got to get this book up, up, up and it, that was it. That's all of those attempts for that because I want to finish a novel. I want to finish a novel. And I didn't get to finish the novel because I didn't allow it to happen to me. Um, all of this other stuff that seems like meandering and going all over the place and research-wise and living-wise, it's not wasted if you become, if you internalize it and absorb it and are always learning. <laughs>